0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. The Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs issued a news release that the UBCIC stands with Jody Wilson-Raybould. I had an opportunity to speak with the Grand Chief of the UBCIC, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, about that. Also coming up is Pierre Poliev. He's a conservative member of Parliament, the finance critic. He wrote an op-ed piece about how SNC-Lavalin is not going to lose any jobs. In fact, they will gain jobs more than likely. Irshad Manji is the Canadian winner of Oprah's Chutzpah Award, a best-selling author. Her new book is Don't Label Me. I spoke with Irshad Manji. You'll hear that. And... Did Jody Wilson-Raybould drop the ball by not reporting the PMO-PM interference over snc Lavlin? immediately? Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, thinks she did. The Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs issued a news release that the UBCIC stands with Jody Wilson-Raybould. However, in recent days, a number of indigenous chiefs across this country have also expressed disappointment that Jody Wilson-Raybould declined an offer from Justin Trudeau to become the indigenous affairs minister. She did make it clear previously that she could not support the Indian Act. There's a lot to be said and a lot going on. In this uh, in this particular situation, in this case, in the developments, as you know, as I've been saying, if it were a baseball diamond we're somewhere between first and second base, as far as finding out what ultimately is going to be the news here. Joining us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network is the Grand Chief of the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs, uh, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip. Chief Phillip, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. You were very direct in your assessment of the prime minister's actions toward uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould.
2: Yes, um, you know, we were hugely disappointed um, uh, with what took place, um, ab- absolutely shocked and and deeply angered by the, um, you know, the disrespect uh, that was demonstrated against uh, Jody. Jody Wilson-Raybould in regard to her uh, principal stand, her um, sense of integrity, and her unwillingness to play ball with the old boys network in in uh, regard to the SNC Lavalin uh, issue. And um, uh, you know, we stand with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. We know her personally. We've worked with her. She's uh, an incredible, remarkable, amazing individual in terms of her work ethic her um, her principles her standards, and um, very conscientious and and a force to be reckoned with.
0: Would you say that it, uh, what has taken place compromises everything that Justin Trudeau has insisted is his priority, as far as being a feminist is concerned, who insists that capable women be both recognized and uh, and advanced, and that reconciliation is a cornerstone of his personal philosophy? Do you feel he's compromised all of that?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think he's been exposed as um, uh, you know as a. Uh, uh, his his colossal hypocrisy in regard to feminism and 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 also the rights of indigenous peoples has been exposed in this sordid affair with uh, Jody wilson ray and C. lavalin his uh, absolute refusal to offer any semblance of an apology his apology so-called was a non-apology and he um, just doesn't have the you know the leadership qualities to to understand um you know the 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 um the wrong that has uh, happened with his government and i don't think he realizes you know they're you know they're deep 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 in the swamp in regard to this issue
0: they just seem to be uh, doubling down on, on their position. We now have not only Mr. Trudeau, but we had Gerald Butts on Wednesday, his former principal secretary, and Michael Wernick, the chief clerk of the Privy Council, and the MPs, liberal MPs on the Justice Committee, all five of them, uh, swinging away at Jody Judy, uh, Judy wilson Rebold without her being even granted the opportunity to return
2: yeah without question, they're digging the hole deeper, and um you know it'll they'll uh pay the consequences for for this whole matter It's definitely going to be an election issue in the fall uh Canadians are not about to forget this, and as you indicated, you know the story is still unfolding
0: it um, is isn't it i mean it's it's clear there's a lot more to come
2: the the m p that uh Challenged the prime minister's notion of you can come into my office and we can have a, you know, a a congenial chat was blown out of the water because she approached him and you know he just flipped out on her, and then the uh, spin doctors tried to say it was an emotional discussion Hmm. as opposed to abusive yelling.
0: We saw a bit of that of the anger in his so-called elbow gate incident in Parliament. And I, I wondered at the time if he's willing to do that with the national TV cameras on him and behave that way in Canada's Parliament. What's he like when the door's closed behind him?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he's not what he puts himself out to be. Um, um, I think he's been ex- exposed to be uh, an, an absolute phony and he can't fool Canadians.
0: Grand Chief Philip, has anybody from the PMO, as the Prime Minister, has anyone who represents him reached out uh, to the uh, to the uh, your association to the UBCIC?
2: No, I think they um, know and understand through our engagement with um, senior, high-ranking officials that uh, we're standing solidly with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and nothing will change that.
0: There's been some talk and there have been some reports that uh, some leaders, some Indigenous leaders in Canada, have expressed some level of disappointment when they found out that Jody Wilson-Raybould declined to take the position of Indigenous Affairs Minister. What's your thinking on that?
2: Well, I was a bit uh, disappointed with that. Um, You know, I think um, anyone that would uh, hold that opinion is wading around in the shallow end of the ethics pool. It's... It represents a bribe, um, you know, in regard, to, a political bribe in regard to, you know, this whole issue. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, so obvious. And, and you know, Jody's principles and, and ethics and her integrity is solid.
0: She certainly has displayed what Canadians want to see. And that is a determination to stand by principle and to not fold and to not give in and to not give up. She's certainly displayed that far more uh, f- directly than the Prime Minister of Canada. That, there's there's also been talk about a possible political party or political movement comprised of First Nations chiefs, perhaps, coming out of this situation.
2: Uh, I haven't uh, heard that, um, but that that's not a new idea. It's, um you know there has been uh, efforts in the past to to move in that direction, and it uh, it wasn't very successful.
0: Grand Chief Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. All the best. There's the uh, Grand Chief of the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs, UBCIC, Grand Chief Stuart Philip, not mincing his words, being very direct about his views of the actions of the Prime Minister of Canada vis-à-vis Jody Wilson-Raybould, as he likes to say, the Prime Minister, the former Attorney General. There's also an opinion piece, and uh, the title of it is Trudeau's Meddling in SNC Trial Had Nothing to Do with Jobs. SNC job loss claimed demonstrably false, and that's by Pierre Paulyer, CPC member of Parliament, also a finance critic, and he wrote, the federal government can lift a government contract procurement ban on convicted corporate criminals with the stroke of a pen under official government policy. And Mr. Poliev joins us on the Chorus Radio Network. Good to talk to you finally. Um, I've wanted to invite you on the show for a long time. Good to be with you. So let's get, you don't have no idea who I am, do you?
1: Mr. Roy Green, (laughs) Jerry radio host How could I not know? Anyone with ears knows
0: (laughs) Look, let's get started on this Lee No SNC jobs in Quebec Was, from what I read And your piece is fascinating to read No SNC jobs in Quebec Was never a threat And that goes back as far as 2015 You're right When the Trudor government uh, Signed an administrative agreement Under a public interest exception Would you explain that to us please?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, Justin Trudeau has claimed that all of these 9,000 jobs would be lost if he didn't step in to shelve the criminal prosecution against SNC-Lavalin. He, blames, he, 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 he bases that on two different claims. One, he says the headquarters of SNC-Lavalin would have left the country if it were convicted here in Canada of fraud and bribery. Well, that's impossible. A $1.5 billion loan agreement with the Quebec Pension Plan requires the company keep its headquarters in Montreal until the year 2024. The company signed a 20 year lease on that headquarters and is re- renovating the facility to, to accommodate its employees there. Right, you don't renovate your office if you're about to leave. Uh, so that that claim is completely false. The second claim is that the company would automatically be banned from bidding on federal contracts, and therefore all of these SNC workers would lose their jobs. So the claim goes. One problem: that's not true either. The company was already banned back in 2015 from federal contracts because of the original fraud and bribery charges, but the Trudeau government signed. Uh, what's called a public interest exception, to allow the company to bid anyway. And as a result, they've been bidding like crazy on projects ever since. And the Trudeau government has announced that even if convicted, the company will get another exemption and be allowed to bid on contracts again. In other words, Trudeau didn't need to interfere with the criminal trial in order to protect the company's headquarters or its contracts. So there must be some other motive.
0: Well, I also found it particularly interesting that you point out there is a policy in place to override a ban on bidding on federal contracts for any Canadian company convicted of criminal activity if, quote, the economic or financial well-being of the people of Canada, uh, end quote, are being negatively affected. So as you say and as you write in your piece, this was a bogus argument from the beginning. Now the question is why has it been perpetuated why does it continue to go forward why is this information not just front page everywhere
1: well i'm trying to make it front page everywhere i know you are i just yeah. published i just published the op-ed to which you refer i put it on my website at withpierre.ca i encourage people to go to withpierre.ca and read it in its entirety but the question you ask is why is this falsehood being perpetuated, and the answer is that I think Trudeau doesn't want people to know the real reason why he's protecting this liberal-linked corporation. This company gave a hundred thousand dollars in illegal donations to the Liberal Party. It has an army of lobbyists swarming around Parliament Hill, uh, influencing politicians and bureaucrats, and it's. Its chairman is the former clerk of the Privy Council, in other words, the former head of Canada's public service. This company has tentacles into political power around Ottawa, like perhaps no other company in the country. And that is the real reason why Justin Trudeau went to such incredible lengths to help it escape criminal trial for these fraud and bribery allegations.
0: Quebec, you right. would have continued to do business with SNC, regardless of any court decision. And uh, the city of Ottawa, and you're close to Ottawa, uh, the city of Ottawa signed an agreement with SNC for public transport just about a week ago.
1: That's right. The city council in Ottawa just approved a $600 million mass transit project, and SNC is the winner of that bid. Uh, and there are 52 billion dollars worth of construction projects that snc is working on right now in canada roy you can't do construction contracts in canada without employing canadian workers in other words it's physically impossible for those jobs to disappear, you, so, what are they going to do, build the 14-kilometer the train track for Ottawa in Britain and then drop it out of yeah. the sky from a helicopter? Of course, that work has to be done here. So it's physically impossible for it to be moved anywhere else. So
0: as I'm reading your, your, your op-ed, Pierre, I'm coming to the conclusion, uh, I'm about halfway through, let's say, I'm coming to the conclusion that we're not talking about a net job loss here for SNC. We're talking about a net job gain. They're not going to lose jobs hurt. because their contracts are not going to be canceled. They won't be barred or banished from applying for new federal contracts. So that means their workforce will likely increase.
1: That could be, well be. Um, the CBC reported that just just yesterday that the five biggest construction projects in Canada are now being handled by SNC-Lavalin. Uh, they apparently have a, a massive multi-billion-dollar backlog of, of of contracts that they have won that have, they have not even been able to start on, uh, and right now they they have a, apparently they have over a hundred positions they're hiring for that they can't even fill. Uh, so the, the 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 suggestion that somehow all these existing nine thousand jobs are going to vanish into thin air is a complete fabric fabrication.
0: So where to now well you have Michael Wernick you have Gerald Butts you have the Prime Minister you have their proxies on uh, on on social media all still talking about the nine thousand jobs that are going to be lost to SNC where to now with this particular information what happens starting tomorrow in Canada's Parliament
1: what I want to I want to uh, investigate is the, the, the continued linkages between the Liberal Party and powerful financial and corporate interests that may have been the real motive for this uh, unprecedented interference by the prime minister in a criminal prosecution. I will continue to probe that specific question uh, very carefully. But furthermore, there's no doubt, we need Jody wilson Rabel to come back to the justice committee and tell the rest of the story. Now, a lot of people don't know this. But when Trudeau allowed her to testify the first time, he only gave her a limited legal exemption from attorney-client privilege and cabinet confidence in order to testify. He, re- he banned her from speaking about the events that unfolded after he had moved her from justice... To veterans. And those events were the ones that led to her resignation. In other words, there is material information that caused her to make the massive decision to resign from cabinet altogether that she has not been allowed to tell us. Trudeau has, a lot, has sent Wernick to testify twice at Justice Committee. Why won't he simply extend the same courtesy to Jody Wilson Raybould if he's got nothing to hide?
0: If there's no way that Justin Trudeau, the Gerald Butts, then Michael Wernick can stand up and take your op-ed and say, Pierre Paulyer is wrong, and here's where he's wrong. You're sure you have the evidence that what you wrote here puts them squarely behind the eight ball?
1: Yes? Well, you, I, I'm not even saying it. If you go to the op-ed at withpierre.ca, every claim I make is backed up with a hyper- hyperlink to the source. So when I claim that there's a deal between the Quebec pension plan and SNC-Lavalin to keep uh, the company in Montreal till the year 2024, I include the link right to the shareholder disclosure from the company that says so. Uh, When I say that there's a federal policy allowing the government to exempt uh, C from a ban on, on contracting, I give you the link right to the government policy yes, which you is posted online. So I, I don't don't take my word for it. Go go see the op-ed and click on all the links and check out all my sources and come back to me if I've got anything wrong.
0: Give us the uh, webpage again, please.
1: withpierre.ca withpierre.ca
0: Okay. Mr. Peliev, thank you very much for the time. Good talking to you. It's uh, one heck of a an op-ed piece and it's certainly is going to create some action and reaction, I'm sure. Thank you for the time. Good to be with you. Pierre Pellier, and it is an excellent uh, op-ed. I found it fascinating to read, so it's with withpierre.ca. He writes, for example, here, and just quote from it, The ineligibility and suspension policy which contains the ban on contracts for corporate criminals includes a public interest exception to avoid significant adverse impact on the economic or financial well-being of the people of Canada. All that is required is for the Deputy Minister of Public Procurement to sign an administrative agreement with the offending company to lift the ban. In fact, the government, writes Mr. Poliev, had already signed such a deal with SNC in December of 2015, allowing the company to continue federal contracts even though it had been banned for the original corruption charges. So with Pierre.ca, and uh, the op-ed is titled, Trudeau's meddling in SNC trial had nothing to do with jobs. We can step away from the issues for a moment and just think about the dynamic that is extending into our daily lives. As political parties and political leaders are at each other's throats, what it ends up doing is causing people to then be at each other's metaphoric throats. Hopefully not the real thing. And at some point, little is accomplished. Because labels are attached. And when I first read the, uh, the title of Irshad Manji's new book, Don't Label Me, I, I, I wondered what it was about. I had a thought, and I, and I was bang on. Irshad Manji is the Canadian winner of Oprah's Chutzpah Award, best-selling author, of course, winner of the World Economic Forum Young Global Leader Award, and founder of the Moral Courage Project Her new book is titled, Don't Label Me, a Guide for Fostering Dialogue and Celebrating Diversity in Our Politically Polarized Climate. I just want to repeat what Chris Rock wrote, and he's a big Irshad Manji fan. Right now, I'd like to say something biting and controversial, but I'm too scared of the backlash it could create. That's why we need this book, because nobody should be afraid to speak their mind, not even stupid people like me. Irshad Manji, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And if Chris Rock is afraid of saying something controversial, I'm getting Mm -hmm. scared.
3: (laughs) I have a feeling, Roy, that that's not actually true. I don't think so either. But I'll take you at your word for now.
0: (laughs) I'm always interested in the the title of books. And uh, it tells me something about what the author was intending before we get to the specific questions. So why the title, Don't Label Me?
3: Great question. I haven't been asked that before, so congrats to you. Um, largely because, uh, Roy, I have come to recognize that labels are lazy ways of, um, of describing or even understanding people. In fact, labels can't help us understand people. All they do in most cases is distort. Um, every one of us, including you, is so much more than meets the eye. And if all we're doing is um, you know, hurling Labels such as racist or homophobe or libtard um, at one another, um, then it's a way of getting out of the uh, work of engaging one another to really understand where we're coming from. Um, so you know, in a, in a world that is, as you pointed out, hyper polarized, to say nothing of it, increasingly diverse, the worst thing we can do is rely on labels as if they tell us what we need to know about each other.
0: So I'm reading about your book and I'm reading v- what various people have had to say I read the interview that you did with Newsweek magazine I've done a fair bit of research on, on the book I want to get the book myself haven't yet but, but I've done a lot of research on it and and Ershad, there is a tremendous amount of labeling going on. I see it in emails to me. People who will agree with me on Saturday disagree with me on Sunday, and they'll sometimes fire a label at me that on Saturday that has nothing to do with the label that arrives on Sunday. So there's there's a lot of it going on. It seems to have as its nucleus whether a person identifies with the political or the social left or right. At least that's sort of my fundamental point. The left labels conservatives as Nazis. The right labels the left as commies. It's not an effective way to be, begin a conversation or a negotiation.
3: No, and and by the way, Roy, let's get super real here. Most people who want to, um, you know, sort of win the argument, um, as opposed to understand where others are coming from first, most people um, don't aren't interested in engaging in conversation because the impulsive part of their brains um, is in the driver's seat here, and all they want to do, in fact, is shut down conversation. And the easy way to do that is to slap a label on you, um, roll my eyes at you and walk away. After all, you know, the label captures you perfectly. So why would I bother to engage? Exactly. The reality is not only does it not capture who you are, but moreover, um, by labeling others, we are only planting the seeds of blowback of backlash and therefore um, a further division. Sadly, some people live to do that. But I'd like to believe that more of us are tired of the, of the um, us versus them. And if we are, in fact, tired of it, if we do want to get something decent done in our lifetimes, we have to work with people who will disagree with us from time to time. And that means learning how to listen and not just um, react
0: let me quote you and, and you've had a very interesting life you're living a very interesting life you've had a tremendous uh, experiences and you've, you've you've created experiences like with Lily by the way I have a blind dog at home too and there, are you yeah I do I his name him. is his name is Rocky yeah. he's a Bichon and yeah. he can't hear anymore either but I learned from him because you know he he gets around by following his nose, he uses what he has, and he's a happy little guy because he has something to guide him. And I, I look at him and I think, what am I complaining about? So he's he's teaching me a life lesson. As I know, Lily is is doing the same for you, and you write about her in the book. Now,
3: right? Well, can I just quickly? Sure, say absolutely. That book is actually a conversation between me and my old, blind dog. And notice, Roy, that I've used the labels old and blind quite deliberately because she was those things, yes, but she was so much more than those things. Lily, like your Rocky, was the most independent-minded, you know, being I've ever had the pleasure of, uh, of, of being around. And so, once again, that was an amazing reminder that what I would have pegged her as, she actually turned the tables on and showed me that, you know, it doesn't capture her at all.
0: Yeah, and Rocky was like that too when he was a young dog. We called him Rocky because he would tree squirrels and then he'd run onto the front porch and we had a bench on the front porch and he'd jump on the bench and he'd do a Sylvester Stallone Rocky dance.
3: (laughs) Uh, I expect him to run up the stairs of the Philadelphia Arts Museum at some point.
0: (laughs) He still runs up the stairs. It's coming down the stairs. There's a challenge, but he does it. Now, let me quote you. One thing I've learned is that the toughest kind of change is cultural change. Customs and traditions die hard, hence the ongoing forms of segregation. I'm not trying to change anyone with don't label me, and I'm not asking anyone to overthink anything. I'm asking a genuine question that we take a few minutes to stop and reflect and ask ourselves, am I happy with myself? Uh, Not uh, am I happy with myself, but am I happy with us? Speak to that, please.
3: Right, right. You know, um, it's true. With a book like this, um, I recognize that, uh, you know, sort of icons from Christ to Martin Luther King Jr. um, to Gandhi have tried teaching these lessons, and they have impacted millions upon millions of people. But sadly, they have not reached millions and millions more. So I am under no illusion, Roy, that this book will quote-unquote change people. All I want to do is hold up a mirror, first to myself, to ask me, How am I contributing to the problem of polarization? By judging people too quickly. And then turn that mirror around to ask all of my readers, now, are you happy? Not with yourself, because this isn't a self-help book, but are you happy with how you define us? Is it narrow? Is it Uh, is it it stingy or or are you expansive? And can you see that even as you stand your ground on whatever issue you are passionate about, you may very well be missing an opportunity to find common ground. Why? Because you fail to listen to opposing points of view. And remember, Roy, listening does not mean agreeing with. No one is asking you to agree with something that just doesn't jive with your experiences or your beliefs. But if you bother to listen to a different point of view and ask more questions about it, chances are you, too, are going to be heard by people who have the opposing point of view. It's a basic law of human psychology. If you want to be heard, first be willing to hear.
0: What is the? How do you assess the state of diversity in this country and in the United States? Where are we? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong?
3: I think we are, uh, first of all, uh, failing to include something really important in how we practice diversity. Right now, diversity comes off as being only about gender and race and ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, those kinds of external markers, but in my view it is really important that we also include diversity of opinion, diversity of perspective, diversity of thought. Because otherwise, we are grouping people um, into categories, and those categories become labels. And as I've said, labels just don't capture anybody properly. So in the book, I make the distinction between honest diversity and dishonest diversity. Dishonest diversity simply classifies people and leaves them there, in their so-called assigned places. That's dishonest diversity. Honest diversity may start with labels, ha, I think you're interesting, I'm gonna find out more but doesn't stop there. In other words, labels may be starting points, but they're not finish lines. And that's the kind of diversity we don't yet have. Frankly, we don't have it because so many people are afraid of opening their mouths, um, being called bigots and racists and phobes of various kinds. And it's really important if we are, those of us who love diversity, if we are going to live up to the ideal that diversity is supposed to be about, namely being included that we not become hypocrites, that we not shut out people who have labels such as straight or white or male. Remember, they too are part of diversity and we've got to ensure that we're giving diversity of opinion uh, the room to breathe.
0: Is the left more inclined or more guilty of labeling?
3: These days, I think so, Um, but that hasn't always been the case. You know, a generation ago, two generations ago probably, it was the so-called right conservatives who um, wanted to uh, sort of um, track down anybody who, uh, you know, gave a whiff of uh, leftist uh, belief and persecute them for doing so. Then in the 60s, 70s, 80s, identity politics. Uh, became all the rage. And now I will tell you that I think both sides are doing it. Uh, It's not just the left, but frankly, it is the left, uh, of which I am a part that loves to preach about diversity. So I believe uh, we have a greater responsibility to begin uh, practicing it in a way that, um, that doesn't shut out people. Uh, who simply disagree with our point of view. So
0: let me bring up the issue here. We only have, boy, time goes by fast. We only have three minutes. Sure. Uh, The issue of, and everybody's aware of this story, ties in social media. It ties in uh, the labeling um, uh, case. And I'm thinking of the Covington Catholic High School students from Kentucky and the situation that developed in Washington. Um, Speak to that, please.
3: Oh, that is a classic case of a young man Uh, simply being seen through the lens of labels. He is white, he is male, and of course, he's wearing a MAGA hat. Um, and for those very reasons, um, he is uh, assumed um, to be an oppressor. Um, now, it's true that he did have a smirk on his face, but um, perhaps that was his you know, regular facial expression. I know that sometimes I'm guilty of that too, and all I'm doing is you know, trying to look straight ahead. Uh, the point is simply this. Um, we, uh, all of us, are guilty of prejudging. And these days on social media, we do it um, with caustic relish. Uh, We are becoming easily part of the problem, not part of the solution. So if you really want to be different, if you really want to contribute to something more than further polarization, just take a deep breath before you react. And when you take a deep breath, you are slowing down the blood rush in your body. You are decelerating the impulse of your brain. And you are, um, you are thinking more rationally rather than more emotionally. Uh, that is sometimes all you need to do in order to respond to someone um, with grace. And if you think that that's weak, that's being weak. Try it. You'll see how much strength it requires. But it also makes you more classy and more sassy precisely because you're not going with the crowd.
0: All right. So I'll literally have 45 seconds and that's all we have for the political situation. What's going
3: on? What has to change? Uh, what has to change? First of all, I think that the former justice minister had a great deal of moral courage uh, in stepping down and then speaking up. Um, what has to change is that people need to ask themselves: What do I stand for? What are my values? And therefore, what am I willing to defend? If all you stand for is a party label, i.e., I'm a liberal and they're not, um, and for that very reason you're rallying around the prime minister, um, you're being mindless. Um, but if you really do believe in something greater um, than a party, in, in something that's worth uh, defending with your principles, um, then you're going to ask yourself, does this stink? Uh, and if it stinks, what do I need to do in order to make change, whether it's in the party or outside of it?
0: Irshad, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so very much. Don't Label Me is the book by Irshad Manji. And please uh, say hello to Lily for us.
3: I sure will. Thank you. She'll love to hear from her perch in heaven. All
0: right. Take care. Irshad Manji, and uh, don't label me. Now, the question uh, asked by Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, democracywatch.ca, is in a Toronto Star op-ed, did Jody Wilson-Raybould drop the ball by not reporting the PMO-PM interference over SNC-Lavalin. Uh, that's, those are my words. The, uh, the actual headline of the, of the op-ed is Who May Have Broken the Law in the SNC-Lavalin Scandal. Duff Conacher is back with us on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Duff, thank you very much for the time. My pleasure. You're questioning uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, stating nothing illegal happened, read the PMO, and Trudeau interference, and you feel though she was conflicted by wearing two hats Simultaneously, Just in a general sense, we'll get to specifics. But in a general sense, can you explain that, please?
4: Sure. It's the one valid point that um, the Prime Minister and others from the Liberals have made about Jody Wilson-Raybould. And that is uh, the pressure was wrongdoing. And they may claim it was appropriate pressure, but actually no pressure is allowed at all on the Attorney General. And when it happened last fall, the Attorney General should have reported it publicly. She's not required to resign, as some people say. That's not part of what's known as the Shawcross doctrine, which is part of, uh, sorry about that, interruption by my children. Uh, That's That's what kids are for on weekends. Indeed. (laughs) That's not part of the Shawcross doctrine that we've inherited from Britain, named after a British attorney general uh, named Shawcross. She's not required to resign, but she should have reported it publicly. And why didn't she? likely because she's a liberal. She wanted to protect her position in cabinet. She wanted to protect the prime minister uh, and her party. And she was trying to deal with it quietly. But it was wrongdoing, and it should have been reported publicly. And if she wasn't a politician and a member of cabinet, she would have felt more free to report it.
0: Clearly, it bothered her. Clearly, it was troubling. Clearly, it continues. And clearly, it got to a point where she just wasn't willing to accept it any longer. But she had, as you say... An opportunity, and you say a responsibility, to, to actually report that. So, could you explain the Federal Conflict of Interest Act to us, please?
4: Sure. Uh, and this is another reason why uh, she should have reported it to, in this case, to the Ethics Commissioner, because the Federal Conflict of Interest Act has a section in it, Section 9 that says that uh, no one in the cabinet or cabinet staffs and top government officials, which would include the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, who's involved in this situation, no one is allowed to, to even try to influence another person's decision in a way that helps themselves or their family or friends, but also if it improperly furthers another person or organization's or business's interests. And it was improper to be pressuring the attorney general and it was furthering SNC-Lavalin's interests of not being prosecuted for uh, the bribery and uh, other situations they've been involved in. And so they were improperly furthering SNC-Lavalin's interests by pressuring the Attorney General. So that's a violation, I think, fairly clearly of Section 9 of the Conflict of Interest Act. And Jody Wilson-Raybould, as a lawyer, is required to report uh, violations of law to the proper authorities, and so again, it's another reason why she should have reported this publicly and to the ethics commissioner. And several lawyers are saying as well uh, to the RCMP.
0: I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what the response and the reaction and the public reaction would have been. Would she have just been shouting into the wind at that at that point? I'm not trying to make ex- excuses. I'm just wondering what the response would, would have been. It wouldn't have been anything like we're seeing now, I don't think.
4: No, but it shouldn't come out this way. <clears throat> you know, she tied in her testimony her, uh, sh- the shifting of, of, of the prime minister of her from the, the Justice Attorney General position to Veterans Affairs. Uh, initially, it was proposed she'd move to a Indigenous Services, and she tied that and said she even asked the Prime Minister, am I being shifted because I won't make this decision that you want me to make mm-hmm. as Attorney General to protect SNC-Lavalin from prosecution. Well, <clears throat> um, kind of seems like, we don't know for sure, of course, that if she hadn't been shifted out of justice in the Attorney General position, that we may have never learned about the pressure. It may never have come out. There wouldn't have been staff or herself disappointed who might have e- ever disclosed that to the Globe and Mail, and the story never would have been broken. So it shouldn't be allowed to be dealt with internally. And it's understandable that she did because, again, she has this conflict of interest when she is a member of the cabinet, member of the Liberal Party, a politician, and wants to protect, obviously her party, her prime minister, uh, and her position in cabinet. And an attorney general shouldn't have to be thinking about protecting no. those things. They should be thinking only about protecting and upholding the law. And that's why the attorney general should just be a government lawyer, not a politician, not a member of the ruling party.
0: You know, it, it's making increasing sense. That argument is making increasing sense. And it starts me wondering two things. Where are we still going to go with this particular case? What do we not know? Somebody asked me this morning, uh, where I thought the situation was. And I said, essentially, if you think of a baseball diamond, I think we're somewhere between first and second base.
4: Yes, and that's why it's such a bad decision by the Liberal MPs, who are a majority of the MPs on the Justice Committee, to last Wednesday vote against two uh, motions put forward by the opposition parties. One, to bring Jody Wilson-Raybould back, because they they brought Michael Wernit back Wednesday afternoon to respond to her testimony, She's only testified once. Lots of questions were raised about her testimony from, uh, especially the testimony of Gerald Butts, and yet they voted against bringing her back. And secondly, there was another motion to have all the written records that were being referred to by Gerald Butts uh, and the others disclosed to the committee and, and made public. And they voted against that motion as well.
0: And yet Mr. Butts was able to, through his lawyer, obtain some of the information that he wanted to present to the committee uh, from his government days. And that, of course, gets me then to thinking about Admiral Norman, who's trying through his lawyer to obtain documentation that refers to him. We'll talk about Admiral Norman in the next hour. There are are so many overlaps um, that are starting to develop here, Duff. and And I'm starting to wonder, how many times have we missed out? On significant and important uh, aspects of governing this country because party loyal superseded responsibility to the people of Canada in sure. previous governments.
4: That combined with secrecy. And uh, we have an act, it's called the Access Information Act. It really should be called the Guide to Keeping Information from the Public that they have a <laughs> Right to Know Act. Because it's full of all sorts of exemptions and loopholes that are not in the public interest. They just hide cabinet decision making in ways that are way too excessive yes cabinet needs to have meetings where they can essentially talk about the political implications because the cabinet is made up of politicians from the ruling party and what their strategy and tactics are And the opposition parties shouldn't be able to find out that information because they have tactics and strategies themselves that are secret. The parties are competing with each other. But all sorts of information is hidden by very broad loopholes, secrecy loopholes in our, our Access Information Act, and they all need to be closed. And then this information would come out. And yes, there's lots of parallels with the Norman case. And uh, whether the, the cabinet is using its power to essentially scapegoat this one person, because lots of things came out that were embarrassing to the government about how they were handling the uh, shipbuilding contract, mm-hmm. and and uh, we we won't get to the bottom of it likely. They're trying really hard. Uh, they're essentially saying we can't mount a defense, and you're charging Norman with a breach of trust, a criminal offense. And the defense uh, uh, lawyers have a have a right to to see all the disclosure of government documents. But I bet you the government's going to keep on fighting that to keep the internal cabinet deliberation secret, and they shouldn't be allowed to, not when they're accusing someone of wrongdoing and that person's trying to prove that they're just being scapegoated.
0: They'll at, and, least, try to, they'll at least try to keep it secret through to the end of the election.
4: Yes, and uh, the Liberal MPs on the Justice Committee with regard to the SNC-Lavalin situation, uh, they have another opportunity this week. Uh, the opposition uh, MPs on that committee have forced... another meeting and uh, the meeting is to consider calling Jody Wilson-Raybould back a second time again and hopefully the Liberal MPs will not vote for an unethical unfair cover-up this time and we'll have her back we'll see what happens but if they do they're essentially just covering up They, they say they want to know the truth but they don't want to look at the written evidence of emails and texts that went back and forth between the key players, and they don't want to hear from her again after all the questions that have been raised. that is just blatantly a cover-up, and hopefully they won't participate in it.
0: When you hear, uh, Duff, when you hear the Prime Minister say, I completely reject her characterization of events, do you have any idea what he's trying to say?
4: Uh, Well, they're trying to spin it as... Um, two different perspectives, um, just a misunderstanding, um, uh, a communication problem. Um, it's about the eighth spin that the prime minister has offered for this. If Everyone should remember that uh, he started out saying it was false, uh, and then they've gone through a variety of different spins. And one of them is that there was no inappropriate pressure put on her. And... That's the perspective that they're uh, part of the perspective argument they're putting forward. And Gerald Butts put it forward, and Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council, also put it forward, and so did liberal MPs. Uh, The problem that they have with that argument is no pressure is allowed. So they're saying that it was appropriate pressure, but no pressure is allowed under the constitutional principle of the independence of the attorney general when making decisions about prosecutions. So there's no such thing as appropriate pressure. And so he doesn't actually completely disagree with her version of events. They agree there was pressure. They're just trying to spin it as appropriate pressure and say that that's normal and cabinet ministers face that normally. And other cabinet ministers do, but it's not legal. It violates the constitutional principle when you pressure the attorney general. The attorney general is not like other cabinet ministers. and. Uh, so they've essentially admitted to wrongdoing when they admit that, that the there was no inappropriate pressure put on, but there was pressure put on. Mm-hmm. And so they, they essentially have condemned themselves um, and uh, admitted to the wrongdoing.
0: Yeah, and they're, they're, the, the hole is just getting deeper and deeper now. You want to see the RCMP... Investigating on obstruct justice grounds, or at least investigating. So do five other former attorneys general in this country, provincially and, and federally. And I just have this question for you Is it possible that prosecutors might be affected by all of the news which has been swirling around them over the past few weeks, and perhaps the RCMP as well?
4: Yes. And um, the, there's been many lawyers uh, have spoken out and said. Uh, that this could cross the line of obstruction of justice. We don't know where the line is exactly in this case because it's such an unprecedented case. And by unprecedented, I mean it probably did happen in the past. Attorney generals probably have, on behalf of prime ministers, intervened in prosecutions and stopped them to protect friends of the ruling party. But this is the first time it's become public uh, at the federal level. And so we don't know where the line is. And Demarsywa's position is, if you don't know where the line is, but you have clear evidence of pressure being put in, put on the attorney general, then the RCMP and crown prosecutors should prosecute anyone that, that, where they have that clear evidence, and let the courts decide where the line is. Prosecutors they don't know what the outcome would be. They don't know what a court would do with such a case, and so they should let the courts decide. And so should the RCMP. Uh, the RCMP commissioner is more independent from the cabinet than ever before in the history of canada to the credit of the uh, prime minister and the liberals they actually used a process uh much more independent than they've used to choose the new ethics commissioner and lobbying commissioner and information commissioner and chief electoral officer all of those were selected by a, a, essentially a, a committee made up of people who work for the cabinet and the prime minister but with the RCMP 7 of the 10 members of the, on the committee that chose the new RCMP commissioner were people from outside of the government and uh 7 out of 10 so that committee had a lot more independence from the cabinet then the committee's choosing the other watchdogs. And hopefully that commissioner is feeling independent-minded uh, and feeling independent from, from the uh, prime minister's office and the cabinet. And the RCMP and the, the lawyers that work for them will make a very independent decision. And the default, again, should be go to court and let the courts decide right. whether the line was crossed. I have about 30 seconds. Cut it down yourself.
0: I have about 30 seconds left. What do you suspect is yet to come?
4: Well, I suspect if Jody Wilson-Raybould doesn't get a chance to testify again, that she'll just do a full disclosure. She's been given uh, the right to disclose information by the prime minister of all that happened. So why doesn't she just do a document dump and and disclose all the emails and texts? And then the government would probably have to respond and do the same. And then hopefully the ethics commissioner will refer it to a provincial ethics commissioner so we'll have a fully independent inquiry that can really get to the bottom of it.
0: Thank you, Duff. Appreciate the time today. Always, uh, great, uh, great thoughts, great thinking. Uh, it gives us a lot to uh, to consider, and I enjoyed reading the op-ed as well. Thank you.
4: Thank you. We'll, well see how it develops. In you bet. A few weeks. We're back in
0: touch. Thank you, Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, on the Roy Green Show.